0: Welcome to Man Up, the podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Today's topic, striving for spiritual excellence. Are you ready? Man up. Yes, sir welcome welcome my friends and this is man up your podcast for those who want to be better husbands fathers leaders and followers of jesus we are a band of brothers we are soldiers in arms yard by yard mile by mile hand over hand we help each other attain the high calling of jesus and today we are joined on the front lines by our friend and brother fellow preacher chris emerson from Lindale, Texas. If you don't know where Lindale, Texas is, it's kind of a bedroom community of Dallas, right next to Tyler, Texas. What, about an hour or so from Dallas, Chris? Yeah, that's about right. So, Chris has been laboring there, I think, for five, six years now? Yeah, closer to seven, if it,
1: if it happens, yeah.
0: Seven, okay. So, Chris has been there for a few years now. Church is growing, and uh, Chris has been doing a good work in that area. Now, Chris is here specifically. I chose him for this episode because Chris has his own podcast. If you have not checked it out, it's also a web series, too, I think, called Excel Still More. And I'm totally jealous that he got that name for a podcast because that's like the best one ever. But this episode is about striving for spiritual excellence. And so, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast to get it kicked off? Maybe we'll get you a few new listeners and subscribers.
1: Yeah man thanks thanks for having me here you're a really good friend and I love I love talking to you about the things of God so thank you I started the Excel Still More podcast I guess it was around this time in 2019 so 3 years in and I was just thinking you know I preach every week but can I get it down to 20 minutes and can I get it right to those those pieces that can fit right into people's lives immediately and and do something that's a little less sermony worship centered and just more discussion centered. It's a monologue, but I try to kind of work through things in people's lives. So it uh, it was a neat little project. I started on my floor in my closet and uh, really been enjoying it. That's so cool. Starting
0: out on your floor in your closet. I remember the first episode of Biblically Speaking I did was a replacement for the sermon as COVID started. And we were down to one service a week and... Uh... You know, I felt like, you know, the people needed an extra spiritual shot, and it was at my kitchen table with the worst microphone ever, with the worst camera ever, and me looking like a second grader in the school play, very rigid, not very laid back or relaxed at all. So I'm picturing you crammed into the floor of the closet, you know, because that's the only sound isolation in the house full of kids, right? (laughs) Trying to record that. Now, here's here's why I was interested because I know you do a lot of things on on spiritual excellence and sort of refocusing our lives on things that are important. In fact, you even do some really helpful things. Like I think you went through the color Bible marking and the and the program and things like that that are meant to help people sort of get a better handle on what the Bible is and how it can affect their life. And you know, I think it's probably universally true, Chris. We all have untapped spiritual potential, but in today's culture. It's almost like being busy is a virtue. If you ask somebody how they're doing, they'll say, busy. You know, if you're from Texas, I'm busier than, uh, you know, a one-armed man hanging wallpaper or something of that nature. We often, I think, because of that, settle for mediocrity when it comes to our spiritual aims. And so this episode, I really want to talk about how do we get back to prioritizing spiritual growth? And I want to start with the name of your podcast. Where did it come from? and 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 what Bible verses inspired that podcast
1: uh, Fortune Cookie, Panda Express to no excel Stillmore is mentioned twice in the Thessalonian letter, and I love that that letter because that's my if I'm allowed to have such my favorite church you know that was a great church, like that church they were evangelistic in their culture, chapter one, and they loved one another and they were hard at work. And If there was any church that Paul would write to and say, guys, just hold what you've got. Like, if I could just get the other churches to be like you guys, I could sleep at night. He didn't do that. He said, love the way you love each other. Now, let's see what we can do with that. Wherever you are in your work to one another, let's excel still more in it. And I like that concept because you don't have to be broken or in the dumps to learn a path to better. Like we all are on a path. And that church is just inspirational to me because it's a culture that I hope we can all have.
0: And I love how you pointed that out because Paul, both times he says, excel still more in chapter four. He tells them you're already doing well in this, which is where the more comes from. But you, I want you to do even better at this, and and the two areas that he really focuses on are spiritual self-discipline, particularly when it comes to sexual morality, and the other is the love of the brethren. And you know, I don't know, you know man up's kind of a new podcast. I don't know if you know what we're doing here just yet. But we're really focused on helping men develop spiritually. You probably caught that in the opening monologue that I did. But we're trying to fill, fill this niche that's kind of out there where the women do a really good job. Generally, our sisters in Christ do a great job of encouraging each other and giving each other insight and wisdom. And guys, we, we're kind of like the Lone Ranger or, or something of that nature. We're that cowboy that rides off into the sunset on his own, the iconic that doesn't speak much we're really trying to find some and create some resources for our brethren, so for our brothers, but what can we do as men to really look at what Paul said there in First Thessalonians 4 about mastering the art of self-discipline and mastering the art of loving our brethren, and how how do we make as men a spiritual growth a priority in those areas?
1: I think it begins with humility. Uh, pride is, is something that men in general may have a tendency towards. I know that I and others do, and so we don't listen to the things about changing and growing and doing differently because we think that what we're doing is good because we're doing it. So the first step is I'm broken. I'm unworthy. I'm unrighteous. I need God, and if I'll give myself to God, God will restore me, but he'll also reshape me, and he'll redirect me, and I'm excited about that, and I want men who listen to be excited about you know, I've been doing it my way, the best I knew how, as hard as I could for this long. But like Dr. Phil asks, you know, how's that working out for you? What if I just say, I'm not good enough, it's not good enough. And I'm tired of trying. I need God to reshape. And that's a big part of this too. And I hope it comes through today. We're not asking you to add 10 more things on your list. We're asking you to do less, just do better. You know, like one of the things that's come out of this for me is I'm less busy than ever. My stress is turned down to zero. You know, I mean, things can still happen that are that are burdensome, but, but as a rule, like you space out things and do fewer things, but just do really intentional things. And I I think that there's just a secret to unlock there that files under, you know, let's work smarter, not harder. Men are like, I'll go try harder. Well, you know, if you work a little smarter, maybe you won't have to, and you'll double your results. So I just want guys to kind of get excited about what humility can do for them.
0: No, I love how you talked about the idea of, of trying harder and then realizing how much we need God and how, how unfocused maybe we've been on God. I actually preached on Jonah last night, and not the sections of Jonah that everybody talks about. We always talk about the first chapter, the third chapter, and the fourth chapter. I talked about Jonah's prayer last night in the second chapter. And what's interesting to me is Jonah realizes in that prayer, number one, it sounds like he's quoting from the Psalms from about seven different times in that prayer, and it's only nine verses long. But he actually talks about the things that you just talked about, that he realizes he hasn't been trying it God's way, and that God's plan was going to succeed with or without him, and that he would, he needed to sort of not sort of, he needed to commit himself to listening to God's plan and showing that God was holy and get himself out of the way of what God was trying to do. And I loved how, I really like how that prayer fits exactly with what you talked about. So let me ask, before we get into the the, the specific questions I ask you, one of the things that Howell and I talked about on the last program is this finding this work-life balance. I think as men, you know, we said busy is almost a virtue, Right. And work-life balance can be very difficult for a man. We're out there, you know, committed to, you know, having a, having good things for our family, working as hard as we can in that. Can, can excelling in the wrong areas hinder our spiritual growth without us even knowing it?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously by wrong areas, if we're talking about sinful things and yeah, I mean, all energy that goes that direction is terrible, but that's not really what you're asking. A lot of energy that goes towards ourselves needs to be mediated because there are people in your life who, who deserve that attention. But I genuinely believe that we just fill it with too many things. I just got off the phone just a couple of minutes ago with a friend who's just worked so hard and the results maybe aren't there in some areas around his life. And I said, pull out a sheet of paper, draw two lines and break it into three sections and the top section, write the word essential. And the second section, write important. And in the third section, write unimportant. And then this had to do with his work. But I said, write down everything you do for your job and break it into those three categories. The essential, the important, and the unimportant. Then tear the bottom third off and throw it in the garbage and never look at it again. Those are gone. Take the middle thing and circle half of them and get rid of half of those. Give them to someone else. Move them to some other area. Now, you just cut your effort in terms of specifics in half, but it's down to the top half, the half that you know works, that you know aligns with your gifts. Now, you have more time to do them, and you're going to do them better, and some of the work you gave over in the middle section was actually what those people needed. They needed that to be shifted to them, and so I really kind of lean hard into this idea of less stress, more mindfulness, and it's exciting. Like, it's this is not a burden. This is a, a realignment, a culture shift that brings about the better things that maybe a lot of us have been yearning for for a long time.
0: I like that. And, and simplifying it to find the time, not to find the time, finding is the wrong word. I think to create the time and then reallocating that time for what's important is, is really what is at the core of prioritizing spiritual growth. I mean, if you think about any convert that comes to Christ, they have a life that's full. And yet we're telling them now they've got to find or create the time for Bible study. They've got to create the time for brethren. So not because they need to necessarily in their, in their youngest days as a Christian, give their strength to their brethren so much as they need time with the brethren so they can grow. And they need time to prioritize how God has structured the family to make sure they're living up to their their spiritual obligation—not potential there, but spiritual obligation of, over children if they're old enough and and bringing them up to know the Lord. So, what does spiritual growth look like in the area in in these areas? I'm going to give you three here: overcoming sin, prioritizing the brethren, and growing in faith. What what? What would you consider growth in those areas and how would you create room for growth when it comes to those things?
1: So instead of identifying specifics in each area, I want to talk about something that should be behind all of those areas. I think every man listening could say, hey, here's some sins that I need to overcome better. Road rage, pornography, whatever it is. Here is some time that brethren need that I need to give them. And here are just areas of my faith, marriage, et cetera. To me, it comes back to three words, and it's a simple acronym that really doesn't, it's not a great acronym, but M-I-D, okay, three letters, M-I-D. Number one is mindfulness. If you have not mentally identified what progress looks like in what areas you want to make progress and how to do that, then just going out and saying, hey, I'm going to be a better Christian this week. You will do a lot of things, but becoming a better Christian won't be one of them. You have to be very specific in your mind. This is what I'm working on this week. I like to take the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit in particular, and just maybe pick one of each and say this week, I'm going to think about those two things every single day. This is going out. This is coming in. This, I'm fighting this. I'm doing this mindfulness. The second word is intentionality, which is where you, you go out and you have some intentional things you're going to do about that. You know, if it stays in your it's mind, our man
0: up word of the day.
1: Yeah. It's intentionality. You know, like, like mindfulness is powerful, but like action without thought isn't good, but thought without action is maybe like a torment that's even worse because you're like, it's stuck in your head. So intentionality is, hey, here's what I'm going to do this week. My thought of the week is I'm going to try to make my marriage better. So on Tuesday, I'm going to do this and Thursday, I'm going to do that. And then the third word is, is direction. And it's my favorite of the three because you get it in your mind. Here's, this is what matters. Intentionality, this is what I'm going to do. And direction is fun because that's where you get to look out a month or a year and you get to like visualize a different version of you at the end of this year. Think about like financial freedom. I see me at the end of the year. My cars are paid off. You know, I'm not in debt. Like I'm headed towards that. I'm headed towards that. That's my direction. I'm leaning into it. The way that I'm getting there is I have it on my mind every day. I have an intentional plan. And I start to get excited about the goal that you're reaching. Because setting goals, like my direction, Ooh, that's who I want to be right there. Without mindfulness and intentionality, is that's what everybody does. Like every team goes on the field so, wanting to win, most lose, you know, like or at least yeah. have to. At least fifty percent so, of them, yeah. Uh, M I D mindfulness, intentionality, and direction. And It'll help you. It, that's the thing. It, it'll help you if you're trying to overcome sin or serve brethren more or whatever it might be.
0: Well, I like how you use the example of of. Know, we get that with our finances. We, we get that, that, you know, I need to do this for saving. I need to do this for investing. I need to do this. And, and I mean, that's something that our world preaches very strongly, but I like how you brought that principle to spiritual growth, that if you, if you want to see the spiritual gains that you're looking for, you need to, dis, you need to Decide now who you want to be spiritually in six months, you know, a year, five years from now. You need to decide what your family is going to look like. And at the same time, you also have to apply the humility that James talks about in James 4. You know, you know, be careful about saying that today and tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain, because you need to realize your life is a vapor and that the what you really need to say is that the lord wills this is what we're going to do because and you mentioned it earlier it's very easy when you commit yourself to a direction to kind of fall into the mindset of i'm doing this rather than i'm doing this for god's glory or i'm doing this by the will of god and so i appreciated you bringing those two thoughts together because our spiritual growth ultimately is about god's glory and it's not about our own pride and our own and and that's an easy trap to fall into And I think this bridges really well into what is my favorite of the epistles. I mean, if you can have your favorite, I'm going to have my favorite, and that's the book of Philippians. I I absolutely love the book of Philippians. I think it was probably, you know, growing up where D. Bowman preached and his love for the book of Philippians that, that kind of inspired me to love it the way that I do. He just made the book come alive. But Paul talks about in Philippians 3 that he has not yet become perfect, but he's pressing toward that goal in fact he talks about laying hold of the upward call of Jesus uh, for which Christ had laid hold of him so when you think about the idea of creating that mindset within ourselves how do we create that mindset i mean it's it's fine to say i need to be i need to be intentional and i need the direction and i need to be mindful but how do we go through the process of changing our thinking to you know i'm good enough to i need to reach for better Yeah. I
1: had an episode that came out today called Living with Purpose, and I'm going to talk about that with you just a little bit. It comes down to a simple question, a hard little question. Why are you here? When you pray for God to heal you and he does, why did he do that? A lot of people die every day. Why is he letting you live? There has to be a sense of purpose. What am I here to do? Paul knew that. He said, I'd love to go be with God. The best thing that could happen to me is to go and be with the Lord, Philippians 1. But I know that staying here will help me continue in my purpose and I'm clear on what it is. And I think that every man needs to sit down and think like I'm raising kids. What's my purpose? What am I trying to do? I was talking last week about Jesus. Jesus faced the three temptations of the devil. You know, the devil came at him with the the eyes and the flesh and the pride, just like the garden, just the whole thing. But Mm -hmm. after what struck me this time was not just Jesus, beautiful answers and understanding his answers. But right after that, he goes in the temple tabernacle and he opens up Isaiah and he says, God has this great plan to save everybody. And that's what I'm here to do. I couldn't let Satan derail me because I'm here to do something. I'm on the move. Satan hits people who are standing still. If you're just like, I don't know, I got a job. I go to church. I'm a husband. And you're just standing there. He's just going to hit you with arrow after arrow. Satan has a really difficult time hitting moving target. And so one of the things we have to do is really sit down and go like, what am I doing here? Why is God allowing me to live? This life will go by so quickly. Uh, I went down this deep, dark rabbit hole last week, no reason for why, on suicides and overdoses in Hollywood of the children of famous people, the children of actors, writers, you know, there's still suicides among them, but it's a dark list of really famous people who had everything, gave their kids everything, they fulfilled every purpose that is imaginable in the physical world, and their children ended their own lives. You did not paint them a picture of purpose that can transcend the devil's influences and the hollowness of this world. So one of the things I would say is you want to press on to a greater goal. It's got to become your mission to do so. Like my purpose is to grow and do God's work. My purpose is to show people that God is great. Now, you're not going to accidentally get better, folks. You're going to get better because that's your reason. That's the reason God planted his seed in you. And then right, you've got something to live for that this life can't do much to hurt. And that's that's where the peace comes, is purpose that transcends the the efforts of the world.
0: Right. I'm going to give you a tin hut for that one. That's a, that's a kudos. It's a man up moment right there. You're not going to accidentally get better. And I... If you look at Philippians 3, Paul spells out his purpose. After talking about in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count everything to be loss in the view of of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. We're still not to his purpose yet. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So we're starting to see his purpose now. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and have fellowship in his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is trying to build a faith in himself that produces by the will of God The same kind of works that Jesus went out there and did so that he could be reassured of his salvation. That's powerful when you stop and think about it. And, And again, that's not something that accidentally gets better, that you really have to, as you were saying, project into the future and determine where am I going to finish this this path that I'm on, that's where a passage like, you know, second Timothy chapter four becomes so important where he talks about being poured out as a drink offering. The time of his departure is at hand. And he says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me. And not only to me on that day, but all those who loved his appearing. Paul set that course to finish his fight and to finish his race and keep the faith long before he started pinning that letter to Timothy, that that was the direction of his life. And it led him in a lot of, in some cases, dark places. It led him to prison. It led him to people literally physically attacking him for his faith, but he never lost sight of the goal of Jesus giving him that, that crown of victory, that that Stephanus, that wreath that says, you are my child, you are the one that I redeemed, and here is your eternal reward. And I get, I get kind of choked up thinking about that because it reminds me of the saints under the altar in the fifth seal in Revelation, and they're at, they're calling Jesus faithful and true, and how long till we're avenged? And He says, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. He gives them their robe, He gives them their crown. He says, you're secure, you're all right. There are others that need to be secure and all right, but I'm going to take care of this. And part of this is realizing that you know. We may never finish our physical goals, but we can always achieve our spiritual goals with 100% accuracy. You know, I may, if I set out to be a millionaire in the crypto market, I may never get there. I may lose it all because that's based on time and chance and circumstance. But my spiritual goals are never based on time and chance and circumstance because the one who stands behind them is the one who died and came back to life for me.
1: I'll tell you this about Paul and everybody I can think of in the new Testament, there just wasn't a lot of lollygagging. Do we still use that word lollygagging? Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot yeah. of just bouncing around. I'm in church and stuff. Jesus didn't start his ministry with, Hey, just be baptized and join a church and maybe five or 10 years from now, I'll ask you to sacrifice a little bit. Maybe when you're in your fifties, I'll ask you to do like day one of Jesus was die to you and live for me. I'm yours. You're mine. Oh. I have control over you. your life. And let's walk through this. There would be grand, grand imperfections. We're not talking about perfection, but we are always talking about direction. And one of the issues, and we're going to get to it in a little bit, I think, but one of the issues of local churches is sometimes local church membership and the soundness of that church, whatever terms you want to use, it's almost replaced true discipleship. It shouldn't have replaced it. It should be a part of it. But there are churches that have a lot of people who are just kind of, you know, hanging on. They'll tell you, I'm just hanging on, you know, I'm just just trying not to, you know, whatever. If you're just trying not to whatever, then you don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't see any just trying not to whatever guys in the New Testament. So we're we'll getting we back to that. We should never idea
0: spiritually be day. Yeah. We should never spiritually be day to day that we ought to be energized to the work. And, and part of that is, is knowing where we're going and determining uh, and being mindful about how we're going to get there and intentional in that application but that sort of comes to another part of being a man and that that's being a father. Now, one of the one of the reasons why I wanted you on this program, you've got four kids and, you know, a daughter just married. You've got, you know, sons that I know that are excelling in their in their academic and sports endeavors. How do you how do you as a father impart these kinds of spiritual habits?
1: a terrific question man and we get asked that a lot as preachers now i think people some people are afraid to ask us because they think we're gonna say well we do bible study six times a day we memorize scripture we you know door knock on tuesdays wednesdays and sunday afternoons maybe there are some guys who do that but i study and i know we're maybe getting off of where we wanted to go here but i think it's worth talking about jerry I was intensely interested in how to raise faithful kids. I still am. But when my first two, they're 20 and 18 now, when they were 10 and eight, every meeting I went and preached everywhere I went, I would look for men and women that have faithful kids. And I would just be like, tell me how, tell me what. And I'll tell you guys that I determined two things that I still believe in very strongly. I'm not going to say it's everything, but it is a major step in the battle. Number one, The men must love God from their own hearts. They must go to church because they love to go to church. Read the scripture in the morning because you love to read the scripture. Talk about Jesus because you love Jesus. Men, the men in the home, need to have developed, which is what your podcast is all about, their own real living faith. You don't have to make your kids sit down and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, In some ways, that can be harmful, in fact but you have to show them what sincere faith looks like. And when there's no man in the home, you have like nine marks against you. When there's a man in the home who goes to church but doesn't genuinely love God, you have a whole bunch of marks against you. So men need to have an integrity in their faith. The other thing is uh, the child, the young person must have a fully transparent relationship with at least one parent. There has to be at least one parent that they tell about their first kiss, that they tell where they were tonight, that they just feel like they can always confide. in. it's usually the mom. Sometimes it's the dad. Usually it's the mom. But if they're telling everything to mom, and when they look at dad, they just see a man who genuinely loves God. You can't fake that either. Like it's, it's who you are. You have a tremendous chance of raising kids that love the Lord. And I can't speak for mine yet. My 20-year-old is, is doing well. My 18 year old's doing well. But it will ultimately be their choice. But men... When we talk about leading by example, there is no truer statement in the whole world. They will watch what you do, and they will create a mental template for standard behavior. And you can't fake it, and you can't preach it. You have to become it.
0: I was reading, I think it was the Barnum Group. Are you familiar with them? Mm -hmm. They put out a lot of religious surveys in, in the direction of faith, and particularly Western culture. But I think it was the Barnum group that put it out that the the number one determiner, determining factor in whether or not children are going to continue with good spiritual habits is whether or not dad is involved spiritually. Not just does he go to church, but is he involved spiritually spiritually? In fact, I think it was if Dad was involved and Mom wasn't, there was about a seventy-five percent chance that the child was going to continue. But if Mom was involved, and this is not knocking women in any way, it's just saying what importance a a, a spiritual figure that is a father is in the lives of children, both both sons and daughters. Then that number fell way below fifty percent. If memory serves, I think it was close to thirty percent that was the that was that factor, and. and And or was the outcome. And you mentioned that we do get asked that a lot, that we're all. You know, that's one of the questions that, you know, well, what do you do to raise good kids? Well, I mean, my son is really young and and so I'm I'm still trying to figure out some of the answers. But one of the things that we do is exactly what you talked about, and that is we have the God conversations. We want him to see that we love God and and of the parents, for some reason that he he probably is as transparent with me as he is with his mother. And I don't know if that'll always be the case when he hits the teenage years, but we make sure that things are not off limits to talk about. That if he's, if he's got questions about something, we're going to give him the age appropriate answers, but we're going to give him answers about those things. And And when he wants to talk about why a, why a, Someone's behaving the way they're behaving in public. Uh, In fact, I, I, more than once, someone has, has sort of, I think, gotten annoyed with him calling out their bad behavior in public, saying, Dad, why is he using those kinds of (laughs) words? But we give him the answers. We're not, we're not ashamed to give him those answers. And we don't do that to, call out anybody to shame them but because his questions are more important to me than somebody's moment to moment comfort and i want him to feel like when you're asking questions about striving for spiritual excellence that those are questions that deserve answers and so when he asks me as he frequently does you ask will what he wants to be he, he, he wants to be a preacher and a daddy but the only part he really emphasizes is a daddy that he asked me, how do you be a good daddy? Well, you give him, you give him those answers and you, and you tell him, you have to, number one, you have to love your kid more than you love yourself. And then you have, to, you have to strive to teach them not just to know God, but to love God. And then you have to give them good examples of what loving God looks like. And if they don't see those behaviors in, our, in, our, in us, if we're not developing those behaviors in ourselves then it's just words at that point there's no there's no strength to it and one of the things that i think we see is that we'll we'll take our kids to bible class and we'll teach them to sing this little light of mine but we don't ever show them what the light looks like and we'll sit them down in a pew and sing oh how i love jesus but we don't show them when we're out on the road what the love of jesus looks like And we'll sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, but they don't see us putting our trust in Jesus. And those things, those important lessons become just words. And when one of the things that tends to happen with young men in particular, I don't know so much about young women, but I know with young men, is you kind of go through this this phase in your life where you're, and you've probably seen it in, in your oldest son already, you're, you're kind of trying to sift out what's true and what's just kind of fluff in life. You're, you're trying to get to to what the real story is about things because you know, you're a man and you need the real answers that if you, they haven't seen the reality of the lessons that you try to teach, they're going to get sifted and end up on the floor as opposed to in the head. Yeah.
1: And I would say just to flip the coin, like I know where we are here in Lindale, I could give you 20 examples of guys who are doing that, not just here at this church, but men that I know, like, I think there are men doing exactly that. I think that there's just room in all of us. Like I'm listening to you thinking, you know, I, I think, I don't think Jared's describing me, but then you'd say something. and I go, Oh, but wait, yeah, that I do that sometimes. Like, that's the point. The point is, and I know this goes to another question that you have. I think the next one that you were, you were going to talk about a little bit of how do you help people find their true potential in God's word. And you just have to be an encourager, man. Like we can point out that stuff that there's a lot of bad dads out there and fake dads, but people listening to your podcast and mine, they want to do better. They're just like us. And Absolutely. I just think we need to encourage, like if, if we want to talk about judging people, then everybody is subject to judgment jared me we're all i mean you want to talk about my mistakes like how long how long you got you know or my failures but i just want to encourage people i would encourage people that no matter where you are or what you've done you can start right now in christ the mercies of the lord are new every morning if you still have kids in your home and you've been blowing it they will pick up on what you're laying down if you make changes i said in a sermon yesterday my wife wasn't there but i said i think my wife would tell you that i'm a different husband than i was three years ago and she texted me right after the sermon. She said, actually, since about August of this last year, like she knew the moment when a couple of things in my life tangibly changed, where I was like, you know, it's time on that. It is time. I'm not a bad guy, I guess. And I mean, we're, none of us are good, right? But I, I think, I think it's time to be intentional about that. And man, she soaked that up. And like my kids, I, I've been trying to take each kid out once a month to breakfast, and just, and this is our second rotation through. Took Luke to a really good taco place today, but the kids just soak that up instantly. Like they, they responded. So I just want men to realize that, man, like we can do this and, and the people around you're going to see it. And we, I preached yesterday about being an asset, you know, to be, to be a value in your home, to, to be someone who gives more than you take, you know, one, you need God. And we've talked about that some already, like, you, you need to be soaking up a relationship with God so that you, you can't be someone great in someone's life unless you are someone great because of what God is in your life. Then just know that you influence people, man. Everything you say and do at work, at church, at home, it lands. And you might say, oh no, all the stuff, I, yes, but God is amazing and merciful. And when you start taking a little, just a little bit more responsibility for that, you're going to see instant and amazing changes. And I'm just so thankful for that in my life and, and for men that I cared very deeply for who have families of their own.
0: And that is something that we always say on man up that we're not here to shame anybody. In fact, if, if the hypothetical person I was describing, you thought you were finding yourself in that, you know, nobody on this program, especially me is here to shame you. We're here to help you. And so, and it is sometimes just making small changes. I mean, you're not going to to feel like, and you're not going to feel like you've earned that world's best dad coffee cup overnight. Because we all feel undeserving when our kid tells us you're the best dad ever, and you think, okay, well, here's the twenty things I messed up today that you don't know about. You're not going to ever feel like you earned that world's best dad a coffee cup overnight. But you're at the same time, when you make those small changes, what you begin to see is that the bigger changes become easier, and and. You know, take the moment when you're tired to turn off the television after, after one episode of whatever you're watching, or or just turn it off altogether. And and you don't have to have a giant sit-down family Bible study. Just just pull your son or daughter over and say, Hey, tell me about your day. You know, what what are you worried about that Dad could help you with? What are you worried about that that uh, What are you what are your questions? You know, we go to church a lot, and and you know, I don't ever ask you about what you thought about the sermon, you know, what are your questions? What, why do you believe in God or, or what are you struggling with? And just, just something as small as opening the door that the conversation is okay, may provide that, that kind of growth that you're talking about. And and like you said, that God's not going to push any, anybody away that's trying to come to him or trying to seek him or trying to do better and excel in these areas where he's asked us to excel. So, Do the small things, you know, if it's, I mean, we all learned that in school, right? You want to save a hundred dollars, start by saving, you know, a dollar a day. And, and before you know it, you'll find a way to save $2 a day or $3 a day. Same is true with spiritual goals that, that we have this idea that, that if I don't make this huge change, and maybe we do need to make a huge change in some areas, but in something like being a father, just create the time and use it intentionally and see if those bigger changes don't come out of several smaller changes. Well, unfortunately, that's where we have to break it. Chris Emerson will be back with me next week for the second half of this episode on spiritual excellence, and it will include the popular rapid-fire section, and I hope that you'll join us for that. Make plans for it to drop on Tuesday. And until I talk to you again, remember, have a good day, God bless, and man up.
1: Dismissed!